Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be ju- measured to you, to you. Why do you seek the speck that is not in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, take first the log out of your own eye, and then see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Paul. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to those of you who are watching from home as well. Um, Well, this morning we're going to be talking about judging. And judge not that you may not be judged. That very first few words are... Uh, are misunderstood often, and many things come rushing to our minds as soon as we hear those words. I mean, I'm sure what comes rushing to your mind is that individual that holds you to a higher standard than they hold themselves. Or maybe what comes to your mind is that Christian that you know that they think the Christian life needs to look like this, 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 and this, and they do it and you don't do it, and so they let you know that, uh, maybe by their words or maybe just by their nonverbals, and, and you just feel judged. And this is often misunderstood by those outside the church. They'll look at this passage and they'll be like, look, Christians aren't supposed to judge. Don't, don't ever tell me what to do. You should never speak to anything uh, in my life that's what judging means. So you don't, judge, not judging means you should never speak into somebody else's life. They should live their life exactly how they want to live it and, and you just leave them, leave them alone. And we could go down all different kinds of rabbit trails uh, when uh, what comes to our minds when, when judge not is said. Uh, but I, I think one of the greatest challenges is that... Um, the, the outside world and, and the, the, the world that doesn't know Christ and, and those in the church uh, feel judged uh, because they have been. Because, because Christians can often ignore what's, what's in this text. And the reality is, is we need God's help to hear what's in this passage and to do what Jesus says. So let's, let's pray before we do anything else. Father, we come before you this morning needy. We are needy, but as we've sung already this morning, you are worthy. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us 
by your Holy Spirit, that you would convict us in places where we need conviction, that you would encourage us in places where we need encouragement, and that we would receive the grace needed to be means of grace in the lives of others. And we can because of what Christ has done. Show us Christ this morning. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, the passage starts out, judge not that you be not judged. Let's just start with, before we kind of talk into other applications, what what does the Bible say about judgment? So even just the fact that it talks about judge not, that there's a judge. There is a judge. In Acts 10, 42, we learn it says, Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So there is a judge, and we are not that judge. We must understand and think about Christ, the one who is the judge. Think about his character. He he always saw everything clearly because his life was never tainted by sin. He lived a perfect life. And though he's been appointed by God as judge, the one to judge the living and the dead, that judge fully and completely gave himself to go to the cross for those who did not deserve it. So the judge is not one who sits in a place that's high and mighty and points things out to make himself feel better. No, he is one who gave himself so that those who would trust in him do not have to face a judgment of God's wrath. And so we must understand that about Christ. Yes, there is a judgment day. There is a day that's coming in which uh, Jesus will separate the sheep and the goats. He'll separate those who do not know Christ, those who've rejected Christ, and those who have accepted Christ and embraced him. And, and eternity will matter. The judgment will happen. It will be final. And we, we should be sobered by that reality. Judgment is real, and we want to make that appeal. We want to be sobered by that. But the reality is if we've placed our trust in Christ, if we ask for the forgiveness of our sins, we aren't perfected here, we're perfected there. We don't experience the wrath of God because of what Christ has done. But as we live in this life, as we consider navigating through relationships, helping others, speaking into others' lives, we should be sobered by what Jesus says in verses two. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The measure you use will be measured to you. We aren't to have a a higher standard for others. Dr. Kent Hughes said this, if we set ourselves as authorities and judges over others, we should not be surprised or complain when we are judged by our own standard. Very few of us, he says, dare to pray, God, judge me as I judge my fellow men and women. 
Boy, that, that's a sobering statement. We're not to have a higher standard for others than we do for ourselves. And we are, in, in knowing this truth, we, we're to refrain from hypocritical and condemning judgment. So when, when looking at others, all others, now, this passage is speaking primarily to those who are in the family of God because Jesus references brothers three different times as he goes through. So it's primarily speaking to that, but yet there's application throughout, throughout all relationships. We should ask the question, are we being condemning or are we taking steps to help? When we see others in a spot that, that draws our gaze, notices our attention, something that doesn't look right, are, are we seeking to help them or are we being condemning? Are, are we being self-righteous? We've got it together, they don't. Or are we being caring and compassionate? Are, are you looking to catch someone in the act to feel better about yourself or looking to help them? I read a story about a pastor who was uh, putting up a trellis in his yard. You know, he's got the hammer and nails out, and he's putting it up. And his neighbor kind of looks at him from over the fence, and he's watching him. And so the pastor sees him and kind of smiles and jokingly says, oh, are you uh, trying to get some, some carpentry uh, wisdom as I'm putting this up? And the neighbor goes, No. I'm waiting to see what comes out of your mouth when you hit your thumb with that hammer. How many times have we, we're looking to find something wrong with someone? A critical spirit tries to find fault, to feel some kind of satisfaction and in the failure of others. A critical spirit often focuses on things that are of little importance as if they were of great importance. The pettiness of, of squabbling over secondary issues uh, is condemned in Romans 14. We don't have time to get into the details of that. A couple years ago, I preached a message on that. We should, you should take some time to go study that, but we aren't to squabble over secondary matters. And oftentimes we can rise that to the occasion and be critical of others. But the hypercritical spirit is destructive. The person with a destructive, overcritical spirit reveals or revels in the criticism for its own sake. They expect to find fault rather than having a discerning spirit that is constructive, that builds up. Now, there, there are certainly dangers of being too harsh or too critical or being nitpicky. That's kind of on one side of the spectrum. But on the other side of the spectrum, when we view this passage, we can, we can do nothing, and both are not good. Being overly critical and and harsh, 
not caring, not asking questions, that can, that can do damage, that can do harm. But in the family of God, we also could, can see someone in a place that's not good for them, not healthy for them to be in. And if we just say, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to rock the boat, I don't want to say anything, we, we aren't helping that individual either. And so there's, there's a place in the middle. We don't want to swing the pendulum either way. We don't want to be quiet and not say something, but also we want to be caring. We want to be constructive rather than destructive. I know many of us have used the term or heard the term constructive criticism. You need to be open to constructive criticism. I don't know about you, but every time when I'm faced with the opportunity to receive constructive criticism, I'm far more aware of the criticism than the constructive, right? Even with the most gracious individuals. I'd rather think about it more in terms of measured care. Are we being intentional? Are we being Christ-like? Do we have a heart to rescue others? And that's what Jesus goes on and speaks to. How do, how do we go about doing that as he shares this interesting illustration in verses three to five? But as we start here, we have to understand and be sobered by the reality that there is a judge, but he is Jesus. And let us always keep Jesus in view as we think about these matters. Think about the character in which he has, the manner in which he lived, and the fact that we are found in him because of what he did, not because of what we did. But in this life, we have an opportunity to be a means of grace to others, to help. So what does that help look like? Well, when we bring that help or when we bring that input, we're called to address our own righteousness first. So look at verse three. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. So where to view, where to view our, our struggle as large and our neighbors as small? And, and Jesus gives this great illustration. He's got a couple, a couple of things that he talks about. He's got, he's got a speck. So, so sawdust, not a whole bag of sawdust, but you know, he's referring to like a speck. Like if I just kind of get it all out and there's just like one, one little dot left, that's what, what he's referring to is Something small. We see the other's issue as small, but then he refers to a log, not just like, you know, lumberjack kind of log, but he's referring to something that's long and big. And this is actually small, probably compared to what the original is referring to as a log, because he's probably speaking to, you know, big beam that you put in your house to hold up your roof. So he's making a clear, big old distinction, right? Log, speck, log, speck. We should see how big our issues are first before we consider where others are. Where's the issues? What, what are we, are we considering our own righteousness, our own life before God are we seeing and feeling that kind of thump? 
we taken the time to reflect on all Jesus has said in the last two chapters of the Sermon on the Mount as we come to this passage? Because there's something sobering, Jesus says. If you, if you don't focus on the, the log first, he, he uses a harsh word in verse five. He says, you hypocrite. If we, don't, if we don't deal with us first, we, we are hypocrites. We're not truly caring for the other person when we don't first address our hearts. We can't care for the other person to help them be amazed at Christ and what he has done if we aren't first amazed at what Christ has done. The spirit of judging and hypercriticism is that we are really more like the beam in contrast with the little piece of sawdust in someone's eye. So we need to examine ourselves first. We need to be a means of grace. We want to be a means of grace, but we can only be a means of grace after we deal with our own sin. We need to start by knowing we're the greatest of sinners. Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount with blessed are what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand the gap between them and their holy God. Because those that know that know that they are forgiven and that they've been reconciled to God, not by anything they've done, but by what Jesus has done. That's why Paul can say the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Do we see ourselves as the foremost of sinners? Or do we see ourselves as pretty decent and I'm better than most? What is the attitude of our heart towards others? This is, this is hard. Why do I want to share a concern with them? Or sometimes we don't share that concern. We just kind of see them from across the room and we think concerns about them. Or even asking the question, why am I so willing to share my concern about them with someone else but not with them? This is, this is sobering. I mean, we, we see it happen practically. Someone calls, comes off the sports field. What's often the first thing out of people's mouths? Yeah, so-and-so, he just blew it. If she would just be working on this skill, we wouldn't be, we don't, we don't often go, oh, if I had been more encouraging, if, if, if I had been working on this, we need, to, we need to start with us. Because if we don't, it can, challenge can happen. Damage can be done. And I asked a friend of mine, Jonas, to help just kind of illustrate this as Jesus, Jesus has talked. To Jonas, would you come up and help me? Jonas doesn't have a, a hard time standing in front of other people. So he's, he's going to help me out. Well, you can have the green one. <laughs> so, you know, practically, right, this is the illustration, right? You know, and you know what happens. You get something in your eye, right? You get, you get dust. You get just the littlest speck of dust in your eye, and you're just like, oh, gosh, 
right? Someone comes to help you, you're like, no, leave me alone. I got it. So if I'm like that, and Jonas, my friend who loves me, he's, he's wanting to help me, if, if he's, he's really looking at me like I'm just a piece of work, and he tries to help me, right? And he doesn't take the log out of his own eye, what, what happens? Is that helpful? But then we as Christians, it's not just that we got a speck in our eye, right? We got logs too. And so it, then it turns into this, and then we just start doing this, right? Thanks, buddy. Love you. (laughs) As silly as that is, that's exactly what goes on in the church when we don't stop. Because these are just pool noodles amongst friends. We need to evaluate ourselves first, being quick to listen, slow to speak. Have I played a role in the conflict? Have have I listened to all the details? Have I asked a lot of questions before coming to conclusions? Have I created a culture in my home or in my relationships in which folks, when they see me coming, they're already ducking? We need to ask that first. Because we have an opportunity. Because if we ask that question first, we have, we have an opportunity to do eye surgery. Because Jesus doesn't say, just don't address the speck. No, he does. He says, take the log out of your own eye. Right? He says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Your brother still needs the speck out of his eye. Your brother still needs to see clearly. Your sister in Christ still needs to see clearly. So address yourself and then, then do the eye surgery. Be loving enough to do eye surgery. And think about what happens when eye surgery happens. It happened to my brother when we were teenagers. I can't remember if it was junior high or high school. You know, uh, several friends were in the backyard. We had just grilled some burgers or hot dogs or something over some coals. And uh, one of us, I don't know, it was probably me, but I don't, I don't know. One of us is kind of like, you know, sticking the stick in the coals, right? Yeah, that's what the guys tend to do. They're messing around. And uh, a fleck, an ember, something pops out of the fire and hits my brother in the eye. And immediately, like, he's, he's in a sense blinded because he just, ah, uh, fire on his eye. When obviously, it, and, and it didn't go away. So the next day, he has to go to the eye doctor. And the eye doctor has to, to take out the fleck that had kind of fused itself to his cornea. I think that's the right thing. The doctors can tell me if I can. The right, your eye would hurt. And the doctor had to take it out. Now, how did the doctor take it out? He didn't go, John, just suck it up, open your eye up, and we'll get this done. No, he, he washed his hands. He, he talked through what was going to happen. He said, I'm going to have to inflict some, this is some pain upon you because I'm going to open your eye up, and that's going to feel really awkward, and then I'm going to have a big old thing that's going to be coming close to your eyeball. And he removed it, and then he... 
He put some medicine in there, and he put an eye patch over it, and then he followed up with him in a week to see how he was doing, and there was care that happened. That's the picture of going to your brother or sister. We're going with patience. We're going with intentionality. We're going having, having as best we could, seeing clearly so that we can do something that is, is the reality of dealing with the soul of another, something very sensitive. I mean, thinking about your eye, like that is super sensitive. Anything that happens to your eye, I don't know about you, I can't wear contacts because I can't touch my eye. I keep trying to convince myself I'm going to wear them. And no, I, I can't because every single time the eye doctor tries to put a dot in, I turn into like three years old and I'm like, no, don't touch. How much more sensitive should we be with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ to be humble and sympathetic and conscious of our own sin rather than condemning? Would we weep over the place that they are? Would we know that as we go to them, we might have to inflict some pain, but we would do it in a way that shows them love and care and rescue? Knowing the forgiveness that we have received helps us so that we can minister that grace in, in their life. You know, when we, when we address ourselves first, it does really open the door for amazing things to happen. Not that you would, you know, never send a message to somebody that's encouraging, but let's, let's not be like, oh, you need to hear this. Let's be aware of what we need to hear in the truth of that message. And we often don't do eye surgery Sadly, because we don't want to deal with our own sin. We've kind of come to terms with this. Yeah, no, I'm not going to. If I go tell him that, then he's going to ask me about this. So I'm just not going to go tell him that. That's why I say we should deal with our own righteousness first. We want to hunger and thirst for God. Let us not, not be caring for others because we're intentionally not caring for our own souls and pressing into who God is and knowing Christ more intimately. Let's press in and hunger and thirst for righteousness. Sometimes we don't do the eye surgery because we don't want to take the time because it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. My brother going in to get that surgery done didn't happen like that. It took some time. So it will take us some time. Sometimes we don't do it because we don't want to be rejected. I mean, at the time my brother went in, he's not a small individual, and I acted after he was a short guy. So there's just that reality. Like, he knows that he's going to hold open this eye, and there could be this knee-jerk reaction that comes. I'm sure it's happened to him before. But he cared enough to want to see healing happen and we want to care enough to see healing happen. And I understand that there are times and places and spaces where there are people that are abusive and we got to be careful and cautious. And I'm not speaking to all those, but that's just the general rule. We want to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Judging isn't being, for, for as Jesus is speaking, we want to be caring, not self-righteous. 
So we need to share the truth in this manner with our brothers and sisters. And we can see healing happen, we can see growth happen, and we can display to an outside world something that they don't understand because that's not what they're experiencing when they go into their workplaces and spaces. Now, Jesus ends this section with a statement that I think is also often misunderstood. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but I've never been attacked by a pig. So when I first read this, I don't, I don't, I, I'm immediately confused. I don't, I don't have clarity about this at all. Like, yeah, uh, I don't get it. But we have to understand how the original hearers would have understood this, this statement. So for them, dogs were not like nice little pets or big pets, depending on the size of your dog, right, at, at home. Dogs were village scavengers. They were fierce. They were dangerous, okay? And pigs represented all that was unclean, like the outsider. So if you've got your pearls... Right? You got your pearls. You're, you're not going to go before a pig and be like, there you go. I got these valuable things. Because you know, just right? They're going to just do the thing. It was, you were thinking it, so I might as well just do it. Right? Yeah, so we're not going to do it. And some of us, will, some will read this passage and be like, yeah, so I... I don't need to share, you know, this truth before them because they're just really hard-hearted jerks. And I'm not going to throw this wonderful treasure of truth because they're just dogs. Or they're just pigs. They're on the outside. And you know what? I've got this treasure and, I'm, and, and I don't know. That is not what Jesus Jesus is not telling us we judge people now and we discern if they're dogs or pigs or some other animal. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling us to share truth in the manner that Christ would share this truth. And if we look at the life of Jesus he did not share truth in the same way with the same people all the time. He presented truth differently depending on who he was talking to. Sometimes he was silent. Sometimes he just spoke to his disciples. Sometimes he spoke in parables. Sometimes he was just straightforward with the religious elite and he told them the harsh things that they needed to hear because their hearts were hard. And then sometimes he was with the individual who was experiencing brokenness and shame. And he was sensitive. Even in the, the moment when the Pharisees are have caught the woman who's in adultery, in that same moment he's addressing one group and the other And yet, 
in the different manner, that's, that's how he addressed them. So the, he addresses the truth, the, the convicting truth. Whoever, whoever hasn't sinned, you cast the first stone. They get conviction. And then he tells her, you're forgiven, go and sin no more. So the same truth, the same gospel truth can be shared, but it does look different. It looks different in different ways, but we're called to be loving, straightforward, but not judgy. And I just want to speak briefly to two categories, the the unrepentant believer and the non-Christian. How would we share truth with them? And we've got this backdrop of addressing our own hearts first. That's all still there. But how, how would we? How do we go to someone who, who, is, who has said that they're a Christian, but then they're just living a life that's unrepentant? Well, we could try to take this, this, this big illustration somewhat literally, and like, no, don't say anything to them. Just, uh. Well, there is, a, there is a place when someone is rejecting Christ. And I know many of you have loved ones. The thing to do for them is not to continue to, to, to beat them over the head with truth. It's not to continue to just throw those pearls at them. Hey, they're gonna, they need to hear it. They need to hear it. Oh, hey, just in case you forgot, since the last time we were together, do you realize you're living in sin and rejecting God and you're going to hell if you don't repent right now? What they need is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and, and they, need, they need to see Jesus and you have the opportunity to display Christ to them. And we pray, and you get your small group together, and you pray. And I know you're, you're going to need counsel, because none of these things are simple. They're complicated. There's various things attached to them, so I'm not trying to address every single particular situation with every little detail. But what are they experiencing? Are they experiencing the aroma of Christ? Or they experience someone who just constantly wants to tell them that they're wrong. I have loved ones. You have loved ones. There's a way in which we share truth, and sometimes that truth is just our actions in being loving over time. I'm grateful that my, coll- my uh, pastor, when I was in college, I said, hey, how, I'm going to go home to my local church, and, uh, you know, they're just not preaching the gospel like you preach the gospel. That's just the church is dead, and I need to go home, and I need to tell them this truth because, so, hey, you, you grew up in the same kind of church I grew up in. What counsel would you give me? And this is what he said. He said, Jamie, don't go home with your brights on. And I'm thinking, is there more? I mean, there's got to be some, some zinger thing that I got to say. He's like, don't go home with your brights on. Go home and, and display Christ, share Christ, live the life that God has 
uh, given this new life that God has given you, you'll be transformed. Pray when given the opportunity, share about what God is doing, but you don't need to go home with your brights on. That totally changed the trajectory in which I interacted with, with the church. And rather than going in and just causing a clash, I had people who would come and go, hey, we noticed that you're different. And I had the opportunity to share my testimony. Now, that, that's with speaking to maybe unrepentant believers. What does it look like to be Christ-like in sharing with a non-Christian? Because those outside the church feel judged. They just do. They feel judged by you even if you haven't had an interaction with them because they have been judged by someone who called themselves a Christian and went to a church. So as soon as they find out that you are a Christian, they're kind of like, whoa, I'm going to get an onslaught right out of the gate. So we have to understand that. But what we need to do is as we take the log out of our own eye, we rightly see from Scripture what is the condition of their heart. And we rightly see from Scripture that the condition of their heart is that they are spiritually blind. 2 Corinthians tells us, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're They're blind. We should not expect them to see and to live in light of what we see because they don't see it. We, we understand that they need to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the thing that they need most is to be reconciled to God. We, are we praying for opportunities to be talking about God and how God created them in his image? And that's the most significant thing about them, that really that's, that's where their identity lies. We talk about those truths. That's what they need to hear. Remember, they don't have the help of the Holy Spirit like you do. Jesus said the help when he left, the help of the Holy Spirit would come to bring to remembrance all that he said. So you get conviction from time to time, Right? Because you have the Holy Spirit of God, they don't have. So they don't have that reminder. So we need to share Christ with them, not correction. Because Jesus said again about the Holy Spirit, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the one who can speak with authority and say the things that are most hard. So when we have the opportunity to engage with those who don't know Christ, let us display Christ. Let us make time in our calendar to spend time with that neighbor or the coworker that we see every single day or a few days a week. We spend time with them. We don't distance ourselves from them because we have the hope that they need. But when we interact with them, we have to understand they're spiritually blind. So let's not talk to them as if there's someone in our small group. I mean, some of the guys in my small group can go, Jamie, uh, I've noticed this pattern happening in your life. I want to share that with you because I love you. Well, of course they can do that with me because of the nature of our relationship and the, the spirit of God that's within us. But I can't do that 
with someone who doesn't know Christ. I can't expect them to live like a Christian when they're not. But I can display Christ for them. Are you a friend of sinners like Jesus was? Here's a reality, friends. We could, we could spend multiple messages and even a series on this passage. But there's a critical spirit all around us. It's in the air that we're breathing. No matter what school you may have been associated with, undergraduate, graduate, high school, homeschool, private school, there's criticalness all around. But it's in the air of the secular culture. We don't want to be critiqued, but for some reason the secular culture is just, just celebrating critique. We thrive on critique. We love to hear when people are pushed down. That's, that's going all around us, and it's gotten to the point where violence is now happening more and more, and that's the, the heart of things. But my prayer is that, that we would display the light of Christ, that we would purge from our midst Criticalness. May we let's ask ourselves, how have I been critical this week? Start there. Ask, Lord, have have I focused on the faults of others rather than asking you, Lord, where, where is it that I can grow and experience more of Christ? Ask God to help you to see yourself clearly and to see others clearly. Ask God how to be a means of grace in the lives of of others. Because ultimately in all of this, friends, we, we need to see Christ. And it's really important that we see Christ. Because I understand in even talking about this text, the first response for us is, okay, I've got to do something different. I gotta be different. And, and there may be conviction that the Lord is bringing that we wanna bring to him, but we need to see the one who has the right to judge. And yet he is the one who gave of himself so that we could be found in him. So let's look to Christ. And let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you to speak to us. I need you, God, to have your Holy Spirit speak to me and to speak to each one of us about the things that we need to hear. And we need to know that we have been forgiven we need to know that we are found in Christ because of the amazing work that Jesus accomplished in coming and living and dying and rising again. And I pray, God, that that would be there at the forefront of our minds even as we seek to take the log out of our own eye. So I ask, God, that you would bring conviction and an awareness of forgiveness and help us, Lord, to be a means of grace in the lives of others. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.